Well, good morning, everyone. Um, as Rich prayed, my name is Adam. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors at Maranatha Bible Church, and I'm thankful to be here today as Joel's out of town, and just to fill in for him, I know it's large shoes to fill. Um, Joel Strop is a great man and a great pastor. Um, he's a good friend of mine and thankful for even his mentorship and his leading in my life. And so um, really excited to dive into God's Word with you today. Um, I'm really excited about what's going on at Community Bible Church um, with the, the church building and just the ways that I hear of God working through this ministry and the ways that he's growing you individually and as a church. I'm so excited about that. I'm excited about the Operation Christmas Child opportunity for you. Um, maybe you've done that in the past, but what a great opportunity to, to give around a time of year where a lot of us are more focused on maybe getting things that we as families can give to those who are in need. Um, my favorite thing about that video, if I can just comment, is how Joel has a Santa hat on and acts like it's completely normal, right? <laughs> like no comment, nothing, just like completely serious. We're doing Operation Christmas Child Santa hat on. I love it, all right? Um, but again, I'm, I'm thankful to be here this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 13. If you want to start heading there in your copy of God's Word, I want you to have a copy of the scriptures in front of you. So whether that's paper Bible or it's on your phone, your tablet, whatever it might be, Go to John chapter 13. We're going to be there this morning. Um, as you're going there, I want you to think of a time when someone served you. All right? Think over the past week or the past month or even over the course of your life. Think of a time when someone served you. Do you have it? You're thinking about that experience? It feels good, right? When someone goes out of their way to serve your needs and to put your needs above their own, it's a great feeling. We love that as people. Um, just yesterday, we were celebrating my, my three-year-old's birthday. Her name is Nora. And her request on her birthday was to go to a restaurant. I'm not going to say the name, all right, because you're going to crave it and you can't go there because it's not open on Sundays. All right? But she wanted to go to this particular restaurant. And if you've ever been to this particular restaurant, you say, thank you, and they say what? My pleasure, okay? Um, you go to the counter and you ask for their famous sauce, not saying the name, and you say, thank you so much. And they're like, it's my pleasure, all right? If you're familiar with this particular restaurant chain, you know that they have really built their brand on service, it's not like normal fast food restaurants, right? You go to the counter, you order your food, and then you go sit down, right? And they bring your food to you. It's amazing, right? And then you eat this delicious fried chicken and waffle fries, and you wash it down with that, that really good milkshake that they offer, the peach one in the summertime, right? Or the, the cookies and cream this time of year, right? And after you're done eating, they come and they take your trash for you, and you say thank you, and they say my pleasure, right? They have built their restaurant on this idea of service, that when people come through their doors, they're served, they're cared for, they're taken care of. Or maybe you think, um, I, I'm aware that some of you maybe went to Mazatlan, Mexico this summer on a missions trip, or you're aware of the church trip that went out. I had the opportunity to go to Mazatlan for two summers with our high school students at Maranatha. And I don't know about you, but when you go on a missions trip or you're going to do a service project, many times you go in with this mindset of we are going to serve them. 
We're going to bless this church, or we're going to serve these people or this community. And every year that I went to Mexico, you know what happened? I came back feeling more served, more loved, and more blessed. You see, when someone goes out of their way to serve you, it does something in your heart. It's love, it's grace, it's compassion. I mean, even think about our own culture that we live in. The secular culture, the the broken culture that we live in, service is a big deal. Offering good customer service, or if you're in the, the working environment, having someone that is a servant leader, that is your boss, is a big deal. And that's even the culture recognizing that. And so what I love about God's word as we come to it today, is we see that Jesus came to what? He came to serve. And so if you're a note taker, I want you to jot this down. Write this down. Here's my main point this morning as we look at John chapter 13. If Jesus came to serve, so will I. It's my prayer as we walk through this passage that your commitment this morning, that your desire this morning would be what is on the screen. If Jesus came to serve, so will I. And so to make sure we're all awake in here this morning, I want you to respond after me. So I'm going to say the first line, and then I want you as the congregation to say the second line, okay? Just to hopefully get this to stick in our brains this morning. All right, so I'm saying the first one, you're saying the second. If Jesus came to serve, all right, that's pretty good. All right, now you're warmed up, let's try it again. If Jesus came to serve, all right, one more time. If Jesus came to serve, so will I. That is what God is calling us to do, that we would recognize the truth that Jesus came to serve. And if we want to live our lives like Christ, if we want to follow in his footsteps, so will I. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, one of the most famous sayings of Jesus, maybe you're familiar with this saying, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, did not come to the earth to be served, to be waited on hand and foot. He didn't come as some royal kind of prince or king. He came to serve. And we're called to live that kind of life as well. We're in John chapter 13. Um, I want to walk through verses 1 through 20, so we're going to go kind of quickly. Um, But as you're you're getting there, it's important to note here that as we come to John chapter 13, I want to give us kind of a a brief storyline of the gospel of John. When you get to John chapter 13, there's a transition that's taking place in the gospel. Jesus has done his healings. He has worked miracles. He has done a lot of teaching. He has had conversations with the Jewish leaders. And when we get to John chapter 13, all the way through John chapter 17, it's what's referred to as the farewell discourse. What is the farewell discourse? It's very simple. Jesus is having personal, intimate, close conversations with his 12 disciples. With his closest followers, Jesus now, it's it's all coming together together. 
In just a few short weeks, he will go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. But then we have all these extended, deep conversations that he has with those who are following him. And so that starts right here in John chapter 13. It says this in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want to pause, and we're just going to kind of explain as we go this morning, because there's a lot going on here in this text. Um, The first five verses really are the scene. And so I want you to imagine kind of this scene that is being painted for us here in the Gospel of John. What is going on, the setting, the people, those who are there, and what Jesus is doing. And so it's before, it says, the feast of the Passover. Now, what is the Passover? If you're familiar with the Old Testament, back to the story of Exodus, you'll know that God's people were in slavery in a nation called Egypt. And so God, in his strength and in his power, delivers his people from slavery in Egypt. And he does so by sending ten plagues on Egypt. If you remember the storyline in in Exodus, the last one was the death of the firstborn son. And so God has said to Pharaoh, let my people go nine times, and he has hardened his heart, and he will not let God's people go. And so the tenth plague is the death of the firstborn son. And so what God does is he gives instruction to his people and says this, you are to kill a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish. And you're to take the blood from that lamb and you're to put it over the doorpost so that way when the angel of death comes through tonight, he will pass over your home and your child will be spared. And so every year, the Jewish people, they gather to celebrate this event, to remember God's faithfulness, to to remember how God delivered them from slavery and kept his promise to his People. And so that's what's going on right here in the Gospel of John. And most commentators, as we look at this Gospel, there are three Passovers that happen. This is the third and final Passover in Jesus' ministry, which has led many to believe that there were about three years that went by while Jesus was serving in full time ministry, because there were three Passovers that occurred. And it says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now, I want to emphasize this point. You're going to see this multiple times through the passage. Jesus knew. Jesus knowing. Jesus knows. What do we learn from this? He's God. He knows all things. He's the creator of the universe. He knows all things. And it says he knew that his hour had come. What's he talking about? Well, all the way through the Gospel of John up until this point, Jesus has been saying his hour had not yet come, but now his hour has come. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about his sacrifice, that his hour has come when he would go and accomplish the mission that that God the Father had sent him out to accomplish, that he would die the death that we deserve, that he would take our payment and our debt upon himself so that we could have eternal life. So Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he says he loved them to the end. I love this. 
Because you see the compassion. You see the love of Jesus here in this passage, do you not? That Jesus didn't just love them. He loved them to the end. To the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus Christ loved his own, his followers, to the end. Now look at verse 2. It says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing, here's our theme again, Jesus knows that the Father had given all things into his hands. Right? He's got all authority and all power, all dominion. And that he had come from God, he knows his origin, he knows where he's from, and was going back to God. And so this is what Jesus does, verse 4. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around I want you to notice the vivid details in this passage, right? It's the scene. Here's what's going on. It says that Jesus, knowing all things, he knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that his hour has come. He knows that in just a few weeks, he will be going to the cross and dying for the sins of the world. In all confidence, he stands up from the dinner table Right? He, he lays aside his outer garments. He takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. He fills a basin of water. And what does he do? He starts washing each of his disciples' feet. One after another after another, he is washing his disciples' feet. Now, before we just blow by this text and we think, ah, that's cool. He washed their feet. Uh, You know, maybe it's kind of like a pedicure. It's kind of pampering. This is a good thing for their their toes and their feet and their ankles and stuff. Uh, Let's not forget the time period that Jesus lived in, the culture that was going on around him in this day. It was a very agricultural society, right? And there weren't nice roads and sidewalks for the people to walk around. And so one of the things that would happen when you would go to someone's house, is that there would be a servant, a slave, who would, would bend down and wash the feet of everyone who came into that house so that their feet are clean. They've been walking on dirty streets, dusty roads all day long, and it was customary for them to have their feet washed. Now, I, I live in an area of, of Ohio, not far from here, just north of Hartville, that's very similar to this area. You know, there's, it's still kind of country, um, a lot of land. It's kind of a rural community. And so right across the road from my house, there is a field. And Caddy Corner from where we live is a huge dairy farm, okay? Now, I grew up on a dairy farm, so this shouldn't surprise me as much as it does, but there's a lot of cows. And so about two weeks ago, the dairy farmer is spreading fertilizer, <laughs> All over the field, right in front of our house, right? And you walk out in the morning, you're like, ah, it's going to be a good day. Whoa, (laughs) what is that smell, right? right, it's it's a very strong smell, very strong. 
I share this story with you because, again, sometimes we can just blow by the details of the text. When it says that Jesus washed their feet, they were not just dusty or dirty from the path. Again, agricultural society, there were likely farm animals and other animals that were walking the same paths. And you can imagine what kind of things got on their feet. It's a mess. And Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, what is he doing? He is washing his disciples' feet. This is an incredible truth that we read about here in God's word. He's washing their feet. Servant king, savior of the world, taking a position of humility and servanthood to serve his beloved disciples. Now let's look at verses 6 through 11, because here again we see a conversation that takes place. And that conversation is between Peter and Jesus. And so let's see how it unfolds. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? But Peter doesn't get it, right? He's almost upset. He's offended that Jesus comes to him and is actually going to wash his feet. And so Jesus answers him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. All right, so Jesus in patience and kindness and love towards Peter says, I understand, you don't get it right now. You can't comprehend what I'm doing for you, but you will understand if you just wait. Be patient. And Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. All right, if you're married or engaged or dating, you know that one of the principles of a healthy marriage is you never use the word never or always. All right, because it's not true. But here, in a very strong statement, Peter is saying, Jesus, you will never wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet, he tells Jesus. And Jesus answers him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And so Simon Peter says to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's like, wash all of me, not just my feet. If you're going to wash me, wash it all. And Jesus says to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. He's talking to Peter. But not every one of you. Now, who's he talking about? Judas, the one who will betray him. For he knew, again, God, he's God in the flesh. Jesus knows who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus here is explaining something to Peter that is incredibly profound. He's not just talking about the physical at this point in time. Like so many times in his earthly ministry, Jesus is using physical actions or objects to teach spiritual realities. He's the best teacher, the best preacher who ever walked the earth. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's taking his physical act of washing his disciples' feet and he is using that as an illustration to teach a spiritual reality. And so when Peter says, you will never wash me, what is Jesus' response? He says, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part in me. In other words, Peter, you don't belong to me. He's he's not just talking about foot washing at this point. He's talking about salvation. He's saying that if you 
Do not allow me to clean you, to wash you, to erase your sin, to bring forgiveness to your life. You will have no part in me. And so then I love Peter's response. Peter says, well, if if you're going to wash my feet, then wash it all. And Jesus says, if you've already taken a bath, you're clean. You just need your feet washed. What is Jesus saying here? What's he communicating to his disciples and communicating to us today? If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you have experienced salvation through the blood of Jesus on the cross, right? you're clean. You've already taken that bath, as he's talking about here. But let us not forget that every single day of our lives, we will need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're all broken, myself included. We all mess up, myself included. We all fall short of the glory of God. And yes, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have salvation that can never be taken away from you, the Bible teaches. But when we sin, we need the daily cleansing of Christ, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in our lives. Jesus has now transitioned from just washing their feet to teaching something to his disciples. The last thing we see in our passage in verses 12 to 20 is a teaching moment, right? Parents, have you ever had this moment with your kids, right? Something happens, a big thing, you know, they see something, they hear something, you say, hold up, hold up, teaching moment now, right? Let me explain to you what just happened. That's what Jesus is doing here for his disciples. Look at verse 12. It says, And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, so he's back to the dinner table now, he's ready to move on with the night's activities, he says to them, do you understand what I have done for you? What an incredible question, right? Jesus is not going to allow his disciples to miss the point. Do you understand what I have done for you, Jesus says he says, you call me teacher and Lord. The word for teacher is rabbi. The word Lord here means master or, or head or ruler. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Jesus knows who he is. He is God. He has always existed. He is the Son of God. That's what he's been proclaiming throughout the Gospel of John. I am the Son of God. That's who I am, Jesus says. He says, if I then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. Here's our main command. This is where I'm drawing this main point of if Jesus came to serve, so will I. He says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I, your Lord and teacher, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He says in verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, anytime Jesus uses these words in the gospel of John, he's about to say something really important. Okay, it's not that Jesus' other words weren't important, but he adds weight to what he's about to say. Anytime he says, truly, truly, I say to you, it's like, you better listen up because I'm going to give you some truth that you need to understand. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I love this. He says, I am your master, and I wash your feet, and you are not above me, he says, so you ought to wash other people's feet as well. He says, I am the sender. I sent you. And as my messenger, you're not above me. You're not greater than me. If I came to serve, then so should you, he says. I love this truth. In verse 17, he goes on to say, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here's reality. If you have been around the church for any amount of time at all, you have probably heard a sermon or some kind of teaching on serving right? We know that we should serve. And Jesus says, it's not about knowing. It's about doing. When, when God calls us to serve, when God calls us to serve the needs of those around us, he's not just saying, you know, know that in your mind and come to grips with that in your head. No, that truth should gravitate to our hearts and change the way we live. We don't look to our own needs. We look to the interest of others. That we are looking outside of ourselves to bless the people that God has put into our path. It's not about knowing. It's about doing. And then in verse 18, Jesus goes on to say, I am not speaking of all of you. Again, who's he going to talk about? Judas. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Spirit will be fulfilled. The Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, that before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. So Jesus is telling the future here. He's God. He knows all things. And he knows that Judas will betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And he's telling the other disciples, when that happens, don't be alarmed. When that happens, don't be surprised because I told you so in advance so that you would believe that I am he. I am the promised one, Jesus says. And then he finishes here with another truly, truly statement. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. Who's he talking about? Jesus sent his disciples. He sent his followers, those who would believe in him. And, and I don't know about you, but when I read these kind of verses, like it gives like goosebumps, because he's talking about us. He's talking about all the people in the course of human history that will place their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. Jesus is saying, I have sent them. And whoever receives their message, the message of the gospel, whoever receives them, in turn, receives Jesus. Whoever receives the one I send, receives me, Jesus says, and he goes on to say, and whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. That's God the Father. It's an incredible passage of scripture that we had the opportunity to read this morning. If Jesus came to serve, so will I. Now, I want to focus in now on three big questions. Three big questions to help us understand what we've just read. The first one is this. How does this text help us better understand Jesus? Because that's what we should do when we come to any passage of Scripture. Anytime we're reading it, studying it, memorizing it, listening to a sermon, 
The question that should fill our minds is how does this better help me understand my Lord Jesus Christ? Because we should engage our minds when we are worshiping, when we are listening, when we are reading. So here's the answer. As we look at this text, there's a lot of things that could be said. But here's the main one, I think. As we think about Jesus, Jesus is the perfect servant leader. Jesus is the perfect servant leader. Our culture talks a lot about servant leadership. Right? doesn't even have to be a Christian organization to understand the power of this principle. But Jesus, in his body, here in the flesh, is the perfect ser- servant leader. Um, I listen to a, a monthly podcast. that They, they produce one podcast a month. And, and I love what the, the speaker says at the end of every episode. Because he's talking to leaders. He's trying to build into leaders. And here's what he says. He says, people would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. Let me say that again. People would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. One of the most powerful ways, if you are in a position of leadership, whether that's in a company, if that's in a school system, if that's in the church, if that's just in the context of your own home, whatever position of leadership you find yourself in, one of the best ways that we can serve those around us is by being real, not being fake, not turning it on, not just kind of being the upfront person or the people that, 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 that people want to see. One of the best ways that we can serve alongside people is to be real with them. And so the question, as I think about this text, what makes Jesus the perfect servant leader? Again, there's a lot that can be said. I want to highlight just three of them. What makes Jesus the perfect servant leader? First, he led by example. Right? He could have just gathered his disciples here and said, hey, listen to me. If you want to make an impact in the world, you've got to serve people. Jesus could have done that. But Jesus did so much more, right? He led by example. It says in verse 5 that he began to wash the disciples' feet. He led by example. He took the first step. He said, I'm not just going to tell them what to do. I'm going to show them what to do. I'm going to wash their feet as an example of what I'm asking them to do for others. So Jesus led by example. The second thing we see in the passage that Jesus did to show that he's the perfect servant leader is he didn't play favorites. He didn't show favoritism because he washed all the disciples' feet, including Judas, who over and over again in the passage, he talks about as the one who will betray him. He's going from one disciple to the next disciple to the next. I believe that Jesus washed Judas's feet too. Yet so many times we can choose and kind of pick what we want to serve in. I'll serve those people, but I'm not serving them. I'll serve this organization or with this community group, but I'm not going to serve with them. You see, if we're not careful, we can allow our flesh and our own desires and our own motivations to creep in. And so even in our service, we're not hitting the mark. Jesus is the perfect servant leader because he doesn't play favorites. He serves. And lastly, I believe the thing that we see here in Jesus is that Jesus is the perfect servant leader because he served for the purpose of sharing. He served 
to share. Right, so he does this foot washing for his disciples. And all along, I believe Jesus had in mind, he's going to teach his disciples something here at this moment. Yet a lot of times when we serve, you know, we rake the leaves this time of year. We rake the leaves, but we never say Jesus. Right? Or we fill the Operation Christmas Child box with all the gifts and the things that kids will enjoy. But are we purposefully, intentionally making sure that they hear the name of Christ? That is the name above all names. And so my challenge for us is not that we would forfeit our serving. But if you're already serving and you're using your gifts and abilities, that you would ask yourself the question, are you using them for the glory of God? Are you serving for the opportunity and so that you have the platform to share the hope of Jesus Christ? Does that make sense? Jesus here, he is serving in order to share, and so we should too. Here's my application. Just a question for you to reflect on this morning as we think about this first point. Is Jesus your servant king? Is Jesus your servant king? Because you can read this text You can interact with this text and how powerful it is and beautiful it is that Jesus came to serve. But if he's not your servant king, it's just a good story. My heart and my challenge for you today is that if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if he's not your personal servant king, that you would believe in him for the first time. That you would give your life to Jesus and trust him as your Lord and Savior. If you have questions about that, if you want someone to talk with, I'd love to open up God's word and explain that to you. I know Joel and his heart for you. When he gets back, he'd love to meet with you and answer any question that you might have. Jesus is the true servant king. The question is, is he your servant king? Um, Here's the next point, main point, big question that we want to answer this morning. How does this text help us be like Jesus? How does this text help us be like him? Again, as we come to God's word, this should be a question that fills our minds, that we wouldn't allow the truth of scripture just to be head knowledge, but that we would reflect on it and that it would change our heart. It would transform us. It would change us more into the image of Jesus, the son. So how does this text help us be like Jesus? Here's the answer. We have a heart to serve others. If we truly have reflected on this text in our own lives, in our own hearts, we will more and more have a heart that is consumed with the desire to serve other people. We're not worried about ourselves as much. We care more about what others need. I say this because in verse 14, Jesus commands his disciples that just as I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He says in verse 15 that you also ought to do just as I have done for you. I've given you an example. You should follow in my footsteps, Jesus says. He says that a servant is not greater than his master, that a messenger is not greater than his sender, verse 16. And what does this mean for us today, church? It means that if Jesus wasn't above serving then we are not either. We, as followers of Christ, Christians, should be known by the people around us as servants. 
as people who put the needs of others above their own. And here's the incredible truth of this passage. As you look at verse 17, Jesus gives us a promise. He says, if you do this, if you live this kind of life, there is blessing that will come to those who serve. Because serving is not about knowing, as I said earlier. It's not about knowing, it's about doing. And when we serve, there is blessing that comes to us who serve. God sees it. There is reward. There is a blessing for those who serve. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5 says it this way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I'll say it this way. Serving is the heartbeat of Christianity. For the true Christian, for the one who is truly living his life, living her life for Jesus Christ, serving is the heartbeat. It's what Jesus has called us to do. So here's my question. How are you currently serving? I want you to take inventory of your life just for a moment. Think about the ways that you're currently serving. If you need to write them down, write them down. How are you currently serving? How are you currently using your gifts, your abilities, your personality, your life experiences? How are you using whatever God has given you to serve? The people that God has sovereignly, purposely put into your life. And secondly, what does that say about your heart? What does your level of serving say about your heart? Maybe what does your motivation for serving say about your heart? Because we can serve, but it can be for prideful reasons. It can be for self-centered reasons. So how are you currently serving, and what does that say about your heart? Serving is the heartbeat of Christianity. If we are to truly reflect on this text, we will have a heart to serve others. Here's the last big question. How does this text help us join in Jesus' mission? How does this text help us, you and I, the body of Christ today, how does this help us join in Jesus' mission? And here's my answer. We serve in and we serve out. We serve in and we serve out. Um, I've been having a conversation with my wife over the past couple weeks, and, and we have four kids. They're all like six and under, and so it's kind of a busy time of life. And so the conversation that we've been having is this. How do we live out this kind of life serving others, hosting people into our home, Uh, using, my wife has the gift of hospitality, using our home and our life to be a blessing to those around us. How do we do those things while not running our own family into the ground? You ever had that question, right? I I understand, God, that you're calling us to serve and we're we're called to do all these things for you, but I got a lot going on here. How do I do that, God? I feel like my priorities are all out of whack. I'm not sure what that looks like, God. And I'm here to tell you, I don't have all the answers to that. But what I do know is I think we should be struggling with that balance, that tension. That, yeah, we're not so far on the other extreme that we're doing all these service things and we're kind of leaving our family over here to to kind of flounder around. 
but that we're not on the other side of the extreme either, that we're like, yeah, family is strong and it's good, it's perfect, but I'm not going to step outside of my comfort zone. And I'm not going to get out there where maybe God is calling me to do something or to say something. I think we're called to kind of struggle and, and ask questions and work through that. And yeah, balance comes into play and priorities come into play. But what I do know is that God has called us to serve. He's called all of us to serve. And so when I say that we're called to serve in and we're called to serve out, we're called to serve the body of Christ. Jesus washes his disciples' feet and says, you should wash one another's feet. And we're called to serve not only the body of Christ, we're called to serve the community around us. That we would seek opportunities to be a blessing to the school systems and the neighborhoods and the workplaces and the community that God has called us to. We would serve in and we would serve out for the glory of God. I just want to read a couple verses for you as as we start wrapping this up. Because in the Gospels, in each of the Gospels, Jesus offers a commission, a challenge to his followers. And so in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Or in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus tells his disciples what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or take Mark's gospel, for example. Mark 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Or in Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is calling you and I as the body of Christ to serve in, serve each other, Encourage one another. Lift one another's spirits. That's why we come together on a Sunday morning. But we don't just come to stay here in this holy huddle. We're called out to be a blessing and to serve those that God puts in our path. So just real quickly, two questions. How is God calling you to serve the church? How is God calling you to use your gifts to serve the body of Christ here at Community Bible Church? Maybe it's in the kids' wing. Maybe it's working with students. Maybe it's set up and tear down for a few more weeks because then you got a church, right? Amen. All right. Maybe it's in community groups. There's all kinds of ways for you to get plugged in right here at Community Bible Church, and God wants you to serve. He wants you to serve. Second question, how is God calling you to serve the lost, to serve the needy, to serve those in your community that need to hear the hope of Jesus Christ? It's Tuslaw. It's Northwest. It's the school systems that God has placed you in. It's the neighborhoods that God has placed you in. It's the workplaces that God has placed you in. How is God calling you to serve the lost? If Jesus came to serve, so will I. Can we say that together one more time as we close? I'll say the first line, you say the second. If Jesus came to serve... So will I. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the example that Jesus set for us. Thank you, God, for the opportunity this morning to read your word, to be challenged by your word. I pray for every heart in here this morning. God, if they don't know you as their servant king, that Holy Spirit, you would work in their heart now.
And God, I pray that, that those who do know you as their servant king would truly reflect on how they are serving and what that has to say about their heart. And God, I pray that all of us, as we go from here, we would seek ways to serve you, to serve those around us, and that we would all do it for the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.